you are listening to Black Star Docs, a collective of female physicians of African descent coming together to share knowledge from our various medical specialties as well as from life. Listen in as we have real and relatable discussions on health, wellness, and lifestyle in a way only us ladies can do. Follow us on Instagram at Black Star Docs and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Cheers. Hello, 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 everyone, and thank you for coming to another episode of Black Star Docs podcast. We are in for a great time today because we are going to talk about a topic that so many of our listeners, our Instagram viewers, our followers have been asking about, and that is fertility, infertility, and reproduction. You guys are in for such a treat today because we are blessed to have not only one, but two and three specialists when it comes to fertility, both from the male side and the female side. So thank you for listening in and make sure that you subscribe and give us comments after you take a listen to this conversation that we're about to have. I am blessed to be in the presence of three amazing Black women, Black female physicians. We have fellow Black star doc, Dr. Marsha Martinson, who is our OBGYN in residence. We have our urologist, Dr. Denise Asafuajay. And we have have a wonderful REI specialist that stands for Reproduction, Endocrinology, and Infertility Specialist by the name of Dr. Obehi Asimota. Thank you, ladies, for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So our conversation will basically be focused on concerns that many young and uh, middle-aged women have in regards to their ability and opportunity to have children. I think this week there was a very surprising statistic that American fertility and fertility rates have gone down for several reasons. Uh, Women are deciding to have children later on in life. Uh, Women and partners, and not just women, are deciding not to have children or deciding to have a lower number of children for various reasons. That may be you, that may not be you, but this conversation is for anyone who has thought about having children and not necessarily want to have them now or are possibly even having struggles with having children. So we hope to clear any misconceptions, any confusion, and really bring some type of guideline when it comes to deciding to bear children. So I'll start off with giving a little background for our two gynecology specialists. The first one is Dr. Obehi Asimota. Uh, Dr. Asimota received her undergraduate degree in biology from the University of Chicago and her MD from Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia. Philly has a very close place in my heart. (laughs) She completed her internship and residency at Hanuman University where she served as academic chief resident. She was also a fellow in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at Montefiore Institute of Reproductive Medicine, Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York, all the way in the Bronx. So shout out to the Bronx. (laughs) Boogie down, boogie down. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Dr. Asimoda specializes in all aspects of reproductive medicine, including fertility preservation, 
egg and embryo freezing, in vitro fertilization, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, LGBTQ plus reproduction, ovulation, induction, third-party reproduction, and recurrent pregnancy loss. Her private practice is focused on working with couples who are struggling with infertility to assist them in building a healthy family by empowering and educating them on all available fertility treatment options. That is awesome. And then we have our OBGYN, Dr. Marsha Araba Martinson who is a board-certified OBGYN, born and raised in Southern California with roots in Sunyani, Ghana. She received her medical degree from the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Sciences program. She did her OBGYN residency at White Memorial Medical Center in East LA. She currently practices at a private group practice based out of Linwood in South LA called the All Safe Medical Group. She's a general OBGYN whose practice focuses on high-risk pregnancies, as well as preventative women's care and evaluates and manages basic infertility. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. So we'll start with uh, Dr. Asimota. So when should a woman be concerned about her fertility and what's the most optimal time to consider egg preservation? Right. Again, I want to thank you for having me here. And I also want to commend you for having such a great panel, right? You have me to help you get pregnant. You have uh, a fertility urologist and uh, an OB to <laughs> deliver. So all questions that any patient <laughs> has, we should be able to cover it because right. every part is taken care of. But yes. to answer your question, <laughs> every, there should be no questions left unanswered. But to answer your questions, I mean, there's never a wrong time to start thinking about your fertility. But usually, unfortunately, like if you think about it, we are born, women are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have. So there is such a thing as a biological clock. So it's real. Right. So if there's no partner inside, if you are not interested in, in being a single mom by choice, it's, it's important to start thinking of, OK, maybe I should freeze my eggs in like early 30s to up to age 38. That's like the optimal time to freezing your eggs. It's always good to talk to your to your doctor, to your OBGYN, to a fertility uh, practitioner about your fertility testing, there's never really a wrong time, but in terms of, okay, I need to, I need to do something. Uh, it's probably early thirties to late thirties. Okay. I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, when you're thinking about advanced age and this is always going to be my plug for men. And as people think about their partners, you know, there's also advanced paternal age as well. So I think just as more women are thinking about it, for those that do have male partners who may think they have all this time, your sperm quality also goes down. So even though theoretically men can continue to make sperm throughout their lifetime, the quality mm -hmm. of their sperm definitely goes down in that integrity. And that contributes to things like, um, you know, as we know now, just with studying this increased rates of you know, mental retardation, other diseases mm -hmm. and such. So it's not like, you know, your 70 year old man just can't walk around having babies. So I do think it unfairly kind of makes us feel like we are on a time limit, but guys definitely have a biological clock too. <laughs> so I have a question about that actually. So that makes, that's interesting <laughs> because, you know, for women, when they're pregnant, 
and they're over 35, we automatically refer them for genetic counseling as you know, advanced maternal age because of the risk of um, genetic abnormalities. So if a partner might be, I don't know, 50 or 60, and maybe the, the woman is like 35, is that something that you would consider <laughs> referring for genetic counseling when the, when the patient's actually pregnant? Say on the male side, we don't automatically refer them for, you know, genetic counseling. I think we do have the conversation with them about, you know, the reality that their their chances or their sperm quality may be, you know, diminished. But, you know, just like I'm sure both of you probably have met 40-something-year-old women who may have great, you know, testing and stuff from a fertility standpoint, same thing with guys. But, you know, there's other things that kind of trigger the genetic testing on our end. But we certainly inform them that, advanced age can impact things for sure. Right, right. So Dr. Marsha, as a <laughs> general OBGYN, do you wait for a woman to bring up childbearing slash fertility at a office visit or do you discuss it with every patient? Okay, so fertility and infertility is a very loaded issue. So generally patients are usually being referred for that problem or they bring it up themselves. So, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of patients get referred to me is because of irregular periods or skipping periods. Um, and so a lot of times when we're evaluating them for that, we do, you know, find out that maybe they're having anovulatory cycles. And a lot of times patients will say, you know, I'm actually, I've been trying to get pregnant, but I don't get a period every month. So in the workup of someone having irregular periods, we also find out that they're also having issues with infertility, but it is a very loaded question. And it's very hard to add that to like an annual exam or a well woman exam. So generally that's like a consultation on its own. Okay. Interesting. So then my question also is if a woman is say coming to you for her annual pap smear and she's 33, just regular annual pap smear or, or biannual, I know the, the, the plan has changed. Would you bring it up to her because she's at that quote unquote timeline where you want to consider it? Or would you just say, Oh, you know, she didn't really bring it up and she doesn't really have any issues. I'll just let her go. You know what? I think women are very aware now as they are getting older, because I even get younger women that are in their late 20s saying, oh, I'm getting older. So a lot of times these patients will bring it up themselves. I don't want to be kind of probing patients if they're 33 and they haven't had a child. There might be a reason as to why. So, you know, a lot of times it's women in their careers. And so I don't want to push on them to let them know that, yes, you're approaching 35. You might want to start thinking about whether you're going to either get pregnant with a partner that you already have or whether you should consider freezing eggs. But I do know that that is now a conversation that we probably should be bringing up more, especially with the freezing of eggs. If you're not right. quite sure if you feel like you want to have kids later on in life. Right. All right. Well, I have um, a question for Dr. Obehi. So it seems like, you know, within the last year or a couple of years, I would say there has been definitely more of a trend of um, black women specifically really thinking about their fertility options and childbearing. What have you seen on your side in terms of, you know, this trend and why do you think that is? And I'd be curious just as also being, you know, an African within this space and a lot of the cultural differences we see, especially around fertility, um, what you've seen as even a trend there and, you know, navigating those, you know, cultural differences in childbearing. Right. I mean, it definitely has become a lot 
more popular. I think why it's such a, it's become a, a hot topic, a hot trend is because of social media. There have been a lot of celebrities, a lot of Instagram influencers talking about egg freezing, social freezing, right? Where you see people taking shots, people talking about their journey. So I think it's become very popular because of social media. And it's a great mm-hmm. thing, right? Because egg freezing, I would say 15 or so years ago was considered experimental. Now it's not experimental. Yeah. So it's, it's a viable option for mm-hmm. women, like I said, who ideally early 30s, late 30s, who don't have a partner or who, who are just not interested in that, in having a child, but want to have an option to use their eggs later in life. In terms of the cultural aspects, in terms of like seeing patients from African backgrounds, I've definitely also seen a, an increased trend in that too. I think you know, being African, seeing African patients, there is that expectation to have a child, right? There's that, there's that, you, you, there's no such thing as I don't want children. At least people don't say that out loud. Uh, so a lot of women, uh, don't we know it? Eggs. <laughs> like a lot of women are freezing eggs and are, are looking to, to even just discuss their options. Some come and do nothing, but I will say, you know, I've seen a, a shift definitely in talking about it. Okay, like this is something I need to start thinking about and planning for for my future. Okay, right, right. And how about? Um, and I guess Marcia, since you know, as a you know general OBGYN, where you're probably seeing, you know, women kind of as first line before they get to a specialist. I mean, I know you know for the most part people don't really need like referrals necessarily to see, um, you know, someone like Dr. Obehi to focus on fertility options. But have you seen women on your side, um, you know, Dr. Marcia, in terms of uh, women who are curious about, should I see somebody? What do you think about? Are, are you seeing a trend there too on the primary side? Yeah. So, you know, my patient population is, is pretty mixed. And, you know, I see a lot of, I see a lot of Latino patients. I see a lot of African-American patients and I do see the trend in maybe a lot of my African-American patients, you know, being older when they're, when they're pregnant or trying to get pregnant. And so some of them do ask, you know, a lot of times it can be a financial thing as well. So it's hard because some people are not quite sure because they're, they're like, you know, I want to try natural because money is an issue. So, but, but people are starting to ask more about options and, and infertility and seeing a specialist, especially when they know they're getting into that 35, 40 range and, and even beyond that. So I do see a trend in older women, especially in the African-American population asking more you know, a lot of us are, you know, career driven. So we are having kids later on in life, you know, in different cultures. So women start having children much earlier. So, you know, I don't, they don't have that issue, but I do see that it is trending more in African-American women. Hmm. All right. Well, back to you, Dr. Obehi. So egg freezing is the hot buzzword right now, as you said, on social media, on every platform, people are talking about it. It's, you know, cool now to get your eggs frozen and, you know, write a blog post about it or <laughs> show <laughs> a blog post. <laughs> it's like everywhere, you know, all the influencers, as the influencers are not right. older, you know, they're experiencing these kind of family planning things going on. So can you explain exactly what egg freezing is and how it differs from embryo preservation 
and IVF, because those are also terms that are wildly used, but I don't know if everyone knows that there are differences. Sure, sure. So egg freezing is essentially where a woman takes fertility shots, so hormone shots, to essentially develop more than one egg. So the whole point of egg freezing are to freeze mature eggs. To get those mature eggs, you take fertility shots for about two weeks, and the eggs that are that are taken from that cycle are frozen, right? Embryo preservation, on the other hand, is an egg that's fertilized. So it's if someone has a partner or if someone is using donor sperm, that egg that is retrieved is fertilized with sperm, and then that embryo is frozen. So women who don't have a partner or who just want to freeze their eggs for their own use later in life, egg freezing. Okay. Women who have partners, women who have who are going to use donor sperm, embryo freezing, right? And IVF, which stands for in vitro fertilization, is the actual process. IVF is essentially taking the eggs out after a woman has taken fertility shots, mm-hmm. mixing the eggs and the sperm, and in most cases, putting the embryo in to get pregnant. Okay. So those are the differences. They're all talking about different and the, the overall heading is assisted reproductive technologies yeah. ART so ART could be egg freezing ART could be embryo freezing ART could be IVF so it's using advanced technology to essentially freeze your mature eggs that you can use later using advanced technology to freeze your embryos so fertilized egg so that could so you can get pregnant later or using advanced technologies to help you get pregnant with IVF. So it's just different goals, but kind of the same area. Got it. Yeah, so I actually have a question about that because I'd like to know the difference between in terms of egg freezing versus embryo freezing, when you have to thaw those, either the eggs or the embryo, which process do you think has a better chance of ending up in a pregnancy essentially? Right. So embryo freezing has been around for a lot longer. Embryos are sturdier. Embryos tend to survive the freeze-thaw process. So if a woman has a a partner, a woman is going to use donor sperm, embryo freezing, if that's an option, is better. Right. And because remember, the embryo is a fertilized egg. As opposed to egg freezing, right, the eggs have to survive the freeze, survive the thaw, survive the fertilization, survive growing up to an embryo. So, you know, for young women, right, egg freezing is a great option. For women who are older, right, I usually counsel them, like, look, if, if you can, freeze an embryo, right, because it will take lots and lots of eggs to help you get a baby. Where if you get an embryo, you know it has a pretty good chance, depending on how it looks, depending on the grade of becoming a baby. So for certain populations, mm. egg freezing makes sense. For other populations, embryo freezing might be a better option. Okay. And ultimately, even if it's an egg versus an embryo, after you do the whole preservation process, it will have to be implanted back into the woman, correct? Correct. Correct. If it's an egg that's frozen, the egg has to be thawed. The egg has to be fertilized. And then that fertilized egg, which becomes an embryo, has to be grown out and put back in the woman. If it's an embryo, so the embryo is already fertilized, it has to be sawed and put back in the woman. So yes, regardless of which method Mm -hmm. to have the child, it has to be put back into the woman. That is correct. 
So it sounds like the, with the embryo preservation, there's less steps. So maybe a better chance Correct. of getting Correct. pregnancy. Correct. Right. Correct. Interesting. And, and you can also test the embryo too, because as women go, get older, not only are egg quantity diminishes, but the quality is diminished. So prior mm. to putting an embryo in, there's something called a pre-implantation genetic testing, where we can test the embryo to know if it's genetically normal or abnormal. It could also give gender information before the embryo mm. is put inside the woman. Oh, wow. High tech mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, actually piggybacking off of that, before we continue, can you also test the genetics of an egg once you have those frozen? So there is a way to test the genetics of the egg, but that's not something that we do these days just mm-hmm. because testing the genetics of the egg does not mean the embryo will be normal. So it's better to mm-hmm. test the embryo because that's what we're going to use to help you get pregnant. Right, right. Okay, interesting. So, okay, so um, Dr. Behe, so let's say, you know, I, you know, I come to you, I'm just like, hey, I want to talk about egg preservation. What does a first visit with you look like? And what can, um, you know, women expect when they're um, initially coming to see you for that purpose? So first I would say, thank you for coming. I commend you for taking (laughs) charge, (laughs) for for coming to this consult. So essentially what I do during the first visit is I talk about the egg freezing process, right? Talk about, okay, this is a process where you're going to have to take some shots for about two weeks. While you're taking the shots, I do ultrasounds to see how you're responding. And then we talk about the egg harvesting, egg retrieval process and freezing the eggs. But before that part, there's some workup phase. So like a targeted Mm -hmm. physical exam, an ultrasound to see how the ovaries look, look for the egg count on ultrasound, something called antropophyll count. And then some important blood tests, like uh, something called an AMH, anti-mullerian hormone if necessary, an FSH, and estradiol, what we call day three ovarian egg test. These all help to determine like the dose of medication and also counsel the patient in terms of how many eggs they can expect. Because I think the biggest mm-hmm. question sometimes is how many eggs do I need to freeze? And then I always, then I right. turn around and ask the patient, how many children do you think you want in the future, right? Because it depends on how many kids you want, how old are you, how many do I see in ultrasound? So all of that goes into play during the consultation. Right, right. And do you bring up at all adoption, egg donation, surrogacy? I know those are, you know, going past a little bit what we're focusing on today, but do you discuss kind of the whole like plethora of family planning, you know, family options that may be available? I do, especially if when I do an ultrasound, I see a uterus where I think there won't be success putting an embryo, like women with very large fibroids or very severe adenomyosis, definitely talk about um, using like a carrier. If a woman's Mm -hmm. egg reserve is very, very poor, like I had a patient, I've had patients come to me in their late 40s wanting to Mm. freeze their eggs. And unfortunately, there's nothing to freeze. And it's a tough conversation, but it's a necessary conversation of the Okay, at this point, you need to use something called donor eggs. But I definitely, which is why a consultation is very important to see what we're working with, because that would direct, mm-hmm. okay, if this is something that could be done, or if we have to look at plan B. Right, right. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, it's uh, tough conversations for sure. And speaking of tough conversations, for couples, you know, for our heterosexual couples or, you know, someone who has like an obvious, you know, male 
donor, you know, in the picture. How do you encourage your uh, female patients to get their partners involved in the process? I think certainly on the male side, as I'm trying to continue to be a champion for men, being just as proactive as women, you know, generally are about their fertility status. How do you get people to get their guys involved in the conversation? Because I know I've certainly seen that, you know, by the time sometimes guys get to us, they're like, oh, you know, my wife's been seeing her doctor for like six months, getting all this stuff done. And he's just like, you know, almost like they moseyed in and just figured out that like, oh, I just figured I'll just give this to world. But, you know, it's such an important component of the process because as we know, you know, male factor fertility contributes about 50% of the um, causality when it comes to any infertility issues. So I'm just curious what tips you have for the ladies to get their guys on board. And I'll be writing these tips down as well for when the guys get to me. <laughs> right, right. Because there's definitely certain populations where they're the the men are just not willing to come in and what I usually say is like we need the egg and the sperm right we cannot have a baby without you and I usually say you know this is just part of the evaluation this is part of the workup this gives us more complete information we're able to have a more meaningful discussion if I know all the parts are working Right. So I usually encourage the men that, okay, you know, you know, your your partner, your wife is going through all these tests. She's testing her tubes, testing her egg count. You know, we also need to test your sperm. And I, I say, you know, without that information, we can't proceed. We can't proceed with any kind of treatment. That, and that usually they tend to turn around because it's, without knowing what the sperm is, I cannot offer you any options. Uh, uh. So I always tell the male partners, I, you know, we need you. We need you. And without this, I can't treat you. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, guys, unfortunately, tend to be overall, not everyone, but a little less proactive with that. And I think there's also right. a lot of, um, you know, understandably cultural senses around masculinity when it comes to fertility. So I think it, you know, it takes a little bit more. But, I, oh, I love that approach. It's like, we need you. We need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I can't, I can't prescribe anything. So I usually, and it's not even, I'm threatening. It's just like, I just don't think I can prescribe any kind of fertility treatment for your wife without knowing the sperm is normal. And usually they right. turn around with that. Exactly. Right. Awesome. Awesome. That's great to hear. Okay. So we got our ladies on board. We got the men on board. Now we have Dr. Marsha, who we're getting ready to hear about her real life experience. Yes, yes. So we're going to shift gears now and hear from directly from her, from someone who actually went through the egg preservation process so that we can know kind of what to expect, what to anticipate, do's and don'ts. And hopefully she can calm a lot of the fears and anxieties when it comes to preserving eggs. So Dr. Marsha, uh, first and foremost, thank you for offering to share your experience because you know it is something that's personal and can be private but I do appreciate the fact that you're opening up and I think that it will help others to learn more as well so first things first what made you decide to freeze your eggs so first of all I'm an OBGYN of course right so I, I already know that I am born with a finite amount of eggs and I knew that as I am getting every year older I know that my egg quantity is going down. And so, you know, when I finished residency, I was 32 years old. I thought I had all the time in the world to meet a partner and, you know, that I was going to try naturally and try to have a baby. 
Now, with that said, I also have a history of fibroids and I was really trying to see what was going to happen naturally. So that was my plan. That was my goal. But of course, we all know that plans change. And now, 10 years later, unfortunately, I don't have a partner. And so I had to make a decision that's at some point, I was getting older. I've had nurses and other people in the recent past, in the last couple of years, tell me, you know, you should seriously consider freezing your eggs. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm just going to wait for a partner. I'm just going to wait for a partner. So I finally spoke to a colleague of mine who was in her early 40s. And she told me she was trying to get pregnant and she only got one egg in her, like at 40, 41 and the one embryo and it just didn't take. And so she was like, most REIs and maybe Dr. Obehi, you can speak to this, might have the limit at age 42 to consider freezing your eggs. And so when she told me that at the time I was 41. So I said, okay, I need to get on this. So at that time I spoke to another friend, I found a, a practice and the practice actually happened to have a doctor that was my fellow when I was a fourth year medical student rotating wow. through an REI rotation. So I went to see him and he remembered me and he was very nice and he was very willing. He, you know, I'm, I was, I'm, I was 41 at the time, but I still had the fibroids and I had multiple and a lot. So they did do the consultation. They checked my hormones. They checked my AMH. My AMH was very low, but he was still willing. He was like, you know, if you want to do it, we will try. So they told me first to go get the fibroids removed because they could not see my ovaries. Wow. And then the pandemic happened <laughs> and that delayed things more. But finally, after I turned 42 and had my fibroid surgery and removed all the fibroids, I started the process. Wow. So it's kind of like you wow. had two things going on. You had my yeah. fibroid <laughs> surgery, which is a whole conversation in itself. You had to heal from that. And then you had to preserve your eggs. Yes. So, wow. Talk about the physician becoming the patient. And yeah. definitely first time. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, and I really commend you. That's so, um, thank you so much for sharing. That's like um, a lot, which I feel, you know, for a lot of us, you have colleagues, not even just in medicine, um, in regards to fibroids. I mean, so common in our African-American women, such a journey that so many people deal with. You just don't, you know, hear people speaking so honestly and openly about it. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I do tell my patients all the time, you know, even with my history of fibroids, you know, I see a lot of African-American women and, you know, going through that process, you know, and I, and I, I've seen a lot of pregnant women that had fibroids and didn't even know it. So they were getting pregnant with the fibroids. So that's why I thought I could wait. It's just that the partner was not in sight. <laughs> I see. I see. So can you kind of guide us into the process? So you went for the consultation, he agreed to assist you and then exactly explain, like, did you have to buy the, the, the needles? Did you have to buy the medicine? Who gave it to you? All that. We want to know as much as you're willing to tell us. <laughs> the okay. From the patient. All right. So, you know, like I said, my first visit initially involved them checking, you know, my hormone levels and just making sure everything was normal. You know, I don't have any major medical issues. My, like I said, my AMH was pretty low, but he said he was willing to work with me. And that's a test that they, you, you know, usually check to see, at, at least when you're going to the REI doctor and maybe Dr. Obehi, you can explain more about the AMH that they're checking to see how well I would respond to the medications. Is that correct, Dr. Obehi? Yes, that is correct. It essentially gives an assessment, like a, an idea of how well you're going to respond to the medicine, like how to dose you essentially. 
doesn't mean you cannot get pregnant, but it gives an idea of, okay, how you would respond to medications and potentially how many, how many eggs you may have. Okay. Yeah. So then, you know, once they figured that out, they, they decided that I was probably going to meet, need a mild stimulation process. My factual first process, the first cycle was free because as an OBGYN, that particular practice gave it to me for free. So I did the first one for free. And hey! they actually yes. To know people <laughs> in high places. Yes. And, and they actually provided me I hate you, Aquia. We're going to talk about that price, but continue. Yes. 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 The discount <laughs> price. Yeah, so they so the the first cycle was free and they offered me and he told his MAs, I want to help her out. Please give her samples of the medication. So my first cycle, they gave me as much medication for free mm-hmm. as possible. So the first cycle was essentially so and that cycle. So for the mild stimulation for me, what you know they thought was good for me was that I needed to to give myself FSH shots, fully stim or gonal F is what I was giving myself. And I was taking Clomid. So I took Clomid for the first few days. And then on top of that, you have to have, you know, you have to somehow squeeze in that extra time because I am a full-time general OBGYN going to the office four times a week and taking call. And you have to go because they have to monitor the the follicles to see if they're growing and see if you're responding to the Clomid and when you start the, the injections. And let me just say one thing, I'm an OBGYN and I use needles, but I don't like needles. And so having to inject <laughs> myself was a whole nother story. <laughs> oh no. So yeah, so, you know, so I was, I, I was taking Clomid and then I had to inject the, the Gonal F or the Foley Stim and I was injecting it. You got to inject it into that subcute area, the fat area. So I was doing that into my belly. And I was doing that nightly. Okay. And so I did do it for about one to two weeks. And then, and then you have to, you know, once they see that your eggs are maturing, cause you're going for visits like every maybe three to five days apart. So for them to check your follicles and make sure they're growing. And when they see that they're getting close to maturation, then you got to give yourself another injection to prevent the ovulation from happening prematurely. <laughs> and so I was giving myself that injection as well. And then as we get closer to the time of scheduling the procedure, my first cycle, I only had two follicles at age 42. And so I was thinking, well, how many do I need to get? He did tell me that he recommended I get somewhere between six to 10 for my age. But, but listening to Dr. Obehi, I feel like maybe I need some more <laughs> because, uh, you know, at 42 and egg freezing, I'm, you know, it's a little scary. But so anyway, I had two follicles and then I had to give myself a trigger shot. I had my appointments early in the morning for the procedure, five o'clock in the morning before. And, and, you know, a lot of people, when they, they're doing these procedures for the, you know, getting the eggs, retrieving the eggs, they tell us to go home and get some rest. But as an OBGYN, I was doing this before my office. I was doing this before I had surgery scheduled. So the first time I did it, they actually did put me to sleep. And then that day I did feel a little bit groggy, a little bit crampy. My office was pushed back maybe two or three hours for me to have a little bit of recovery time. And then I went to the office. I had a little bit of spotting afterwards. The next couple of times I did it, they did give me like sedation. So it was much better and I felt way better afterwards. But that was kind of my process. And I did go through several cycles. It was was very interesting because me as an OBGYN didn't know that there could be mishaps. Like you, sometimes you don't even go through a cycle because you 
have cysts, you're already forming follicles that are, that are, that are growing, but they're growing not in sync. And so then they don't want to start you on the medications if they're not in sync. So there was a couple of times where I had to skip a cycle or that I even started the process. And one time, very disappointed, I was scheduled for the cycle and I ovulated prematurely. Mm. When you get there for the retrieval of the eggs, they check your eggs before you actually go for the the procedure. And so they did an ultrasound to see if the eggs were still there to make sure I didn't ovulate ahead of time. And I ovulated. So procedure canceled. And I didn't know that that could happen. And I'm an OBGYN. So I was, oh no. I was very disappointed. I had one, one cycle that I just, you know, went through the whole process of injecting myself. And even right. that, that trigger shot, you know, the trigger shot you give yourself in the back, in the muscle, all the way in the back. the first two times I did that I did it myself so and I was already having PTSD from injecting myself from the front (laughs) so so going through that whole process and then ending up with a cycle that didn't even go ahead I was you know very disappointed but then luckily the next cycle somehow I got six eggs in one I was (laughs) so so yeah so in the end I ended up with like 11 eggs so far and that's where I am right now that's wow. Awesome. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yes. 11 eggs is good. Yes. Wow. And so, and I actually was thinking about my last cycle considering, which I had three eggs on the last cycle. I was considering freezing embryos and I was actually considering sperm donor, but man, that's that sperm donor process in terms of this, the shopping and uh, looking and checking their genetic history and their family history and where they went to college and what they're interested in. It's stressful. Mm. So I ended yeah. up last set of eggs. I didn't get, I didn't get the donors for Wow. Okay. Well, like, Dr. Marsha. <laughs> it's almost like sperm speed dating in a sense. Exactly. It is. Exactly. <laughs> That's well, what I'm sure. I'm sure everybody listening, Dr. Marsha, as um, beautiful and talented as you are, I'm sure you are going to get a slew of volunteers once that uh, process comes. So, <laughs> Wow. But I, I appreciate your vulnerability. And, uh, Dr. Obey, yeah. um, I'm sure you can chime in that most of us, even myself, don't recognize that there are mishaps. Even the egg preservation, egg freezing is not perfect. And no one tells right. you that online when like I said you read in the blogs nobody tells you about the things that could go wrong right right oh yeah it could go wrong you may not get I think let's start you may get no eggs right you may get Mm -hmm. less eggs than expected if you get eggs they may not like you have to think okay you have to you get eggs how many of those eggs are good eggs or mature eggs where we could freeze right there's a process called attrition where what you see on ultrasound is not necessarily what you end up with. So I always tell patients, you know, what, like, let's say on ultrasound, we count 10. You may end up at five. You may end up at four. Worst case scenario, you may end up at zero, which is very hard to hear. And obviously, we always say, God forbid, mm-hmm. but it happens. It happens. So it's always important to, to let patients know that, you know, there's a Best case scenario, typical case scenario, and then worst case scenario. Right. And it sounds like, I mean, just, um, you know, thank you also again, um, Dr. Marsha, just for your vulnerability, um, as Akia mentioned. And I think this is not a process for the weary. Um, you know, you are, you know, first of all, a full-time physician going through this. And even though you had a sense of what it was, it still sounded like it was 
a lot. But I think what I'm gathering is, you know, if if you are prepared to embark on this process, this journey, this is like not a joke. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's really involved, you know. So it just, um, it's, the big, one thing that stuck out to me that um, Dr. Bay had love to hear your thoughts, you know, cost. You know, of course, being in the infertility world, you know, this is, there's a huge barrier to care when it comes to infertility services and, you know, egg preservation is not um, a stranger to that. You know, we don't all have the same kinds of hookups as Dr. Marsha had here on this account with the cycle, but, you know, in general, you know, it can be cost prohibitive. Can you give us an idea of the range in general that people should expect? You know, I know there's just like with any profession, there's going to be probably some charlatans out there potentially trying to get folks. So what general idea of what people should expect to, you know, spend on the process. And if you know of any like resources that, you know, for people that may need some assistance, some things that people should look to for help. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, any, so I, I started my own clinic. My clinic is called Hope Fertility in the Atlanta metro area. And I could tell you, we charge $5,000 for egg freezing. It does not include any medications and medications could run anywhere from anywhere from 2,500 all the way to like 6,000, 7,000, depending on, again, if your numbers are okay, or if you have a lower reserve where you you need lots of medication. So, you know, the price varies depending on where you are. It could be 5,000, some places charge 6,000, some places charge 7,000, but you also have to think of medication. So all in all, it could cost maybe 7,000 all the way to 12,000. And so I always tell patients, think of that as your budget for everything. And then you have to think of storage fees because I think some people forget that. Mm. A lot of places, my clinic, we, we the first six months of storage is included, but certain places, you, and then afterwards you have to pay storage fees. Some places include like a year of storage or so, but you know, in the long term, you will have to pay storage fees. In terms of resources, yes, there are a lot of, so there are financial grants, financial companies that could provide loans. And I actually have a post on my Instagram page where I listed all grants, scholarships that I know of that are available for women who are seeking fertility help. That's awesome. That's awesome. So please check out Dr. Asimoto's page for all those resources. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think um, people are always just find, I think, the cost, you know, to be so daunting. And it seems like through social media, um, you know, the more and more we learn that there seem to be resources out there. So that's great. So please, please check out Dr. Asimoto's page for that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just, I yeah. just want to chime in with my experience that, yeah. So yes, my first cycle was free, but I did go through several cycles and the cost of they, and so the place that I went to, and I don't think they would mind me giving them a shout out was reproductive partners in Redondo beach. And they also have one in Beverly Hills and I think a few other places. And so their general cost for egg freezing was 7,200. And that was without mm-hmm. meds as well. And then the, the second and third cycles where I did have to buy meds, I, I went anywhere between 1,500 to 2,500 on the medications. And, you know, the good thing about this process is that they have special pharmacies specifically for these medications. And so I went to an, a pharmacy called Alto Pharmacy. Well, I didn't go there, but they have an app. And, you know, as soon as you need the medication, you get it the same day, they will deliver it for free. I'm sure it's in the cost, but yeah. So the medications were delivered on the same day basis. And so as soon as you need that medication, it's coming to you that day. But yeah, so that was kind of, I was, it was 7,200. The discount that they gave me as an OB was that I was paying 6,000 for the actual 
egg preservation process and then the additional uh, cost of the medications. Wow. So it is a process that you have to think thoroughly about, not just physically, but definitely emotionally and financially. So all the ladies and gents out there who are thinking about this option, I think that it, it's not something like Denise said that it's for the, the, the weak at heart. And it is a, a process ultimately, but God willingly, it's a process that will reap great benefits. So as we come to the end of our episode, I do want to know if both Dr. Obehi and Dr. Marsha, do you guys have any websites or information outlets where people can get uh, more information in regards to infertility options or anything like that if they want to learn more? I'll defer sure. to Obehi, yes. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, my, the name of my clinic is Hope Fertility. My website is www.hope-fertility.com. I also have an Instagram page where I talk about fertility. Like I have a lot of information about that. Grant information support groups, because this is also hard. So those are good resources. But you know, they're also national resources like Resolve, ASRM, where you can uh, find other information about egg freezing and um, how to go about it. Okay. What, any from you, Dr. Marsha? Well, you know, so the governing body for OBGYN is, is the ACOG. And so they do have like when you, basic information regarding infertility and things of that nature. So just kind of getting general information. But yeah, just I would definitely defer to Dr. Obehi since she's on the infertility side in terms of those websites that she mentioned. Okay. Awesome. Well, I had one final question for Dr. Obehi. Um, we like to kind of close out with some fun, like lighthearted questions for our guests. So the first question is, what is what favorite show are you kind of following right now or something that's your guilty pleasure on, t- on TV? Ooh, so I kind of <laughs> browse Netflix and just pick whatever is like, Oh, this looks good. I, I'm not like following. I, I was like a Game of Thrones fan. But that's over now. So I just <laughs> click on Netflix and whatever is piques my interest, I watch. Got so that's it. A great got question. it. I want to <laughs> add something to that. You know, right now I just got into the Handmaid's Tale and that kind of really relates to this conversation. So oh, it's oh. great. <laughs> it's very interesting in, in, in what, you know, infertility might look like in the future where there might be an apocalypse. Oh, wow. I have to check that out. Yeah. That show creeps me out. And then the final question, just because, of course, you're on with like, you know, three Ghanaian doctors Ghana Jalof or Niger Jalof? Oh, my God. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not even a question. Ah! Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have to make the competition fair. (laughs) You know. That, that, that's not even a competition. Of course, Nigerians jollof. Oh, you know the, the okay. funny thing? I've never tasted Ghanaian jollof, oh but I still God. hate on it. I still hate on it. Wow. <laughs> You're sitting on a panel with three it. other Ghanaians. Oh, <laughs> I still wow. hate on it. It's like, I'm not going to ruin my taste buds. Sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay, Dr. Um, Asimoto, so our deal is, when you know now that the world is opening up, Black Star Docs is personally going to promise you some authentic Ghanaian jollof to really open up your world. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll I don't address know. I, this. I'd rather, I rather be close-minded close when it comes to <laughs> Awesome, awesome. No, all, all in good, um, all in good fun. But thank you 
so, so much. This was so incredibly informative, you know, Dr. Asimoda. And then also just hearing, um, you know, Dr. Marsha, your personal experiences, which I think, again, um, not as many people are as privy to that side of things. But, you know, once again, um, you know, Dr. Asimoda, you can find her in the AATL fertility, you know, and on Instagram, but you were so wonderful to talk with you and pick your brain. I know you're super busy and our viewers that really, really, we all really appreciate your, your time and um, your continued efforts to bring more babies into this world. Yeah. Oh, thank you. My pleasure being here. Thank you so much. Those were great. And you can always send those patients over to me when they're pregnant. So I will yeah. all the way to the end. And right. definitely getting a lot of 40-year-olds lately. So, you know, definitely some older women in there getting pregnant and IVF patients. And we get a lot of surrogate patients as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. And, right. And, and for all the men, you could um, catch me in Chicago soon um, if you want to get your fertility checked out. So just uh, catch us on Black Star Docs for uh, more info and more posts. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon over and out bye thank you so much goodbye all right bye you have been listening to black star docs thank you for joining us we hope that we made your day a bit brighter and better please remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and follow us on all of our social media platforms at black star docs